0: Session with Dr. Fadid Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host Dr. Fadid Tolakwi and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. So you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter, or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 310 Before I get into the book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight, The book of the week for this week is What's Your Pronoun by Dennis Barron. What's Your Pronoun Beyond He and She? And the author, Dennis Barron, is a linguist. Um, He's a professor emeritus of English and linguistics at the University of Illinois. And so you've probably heard a lot of talk about this, he and she. It comes up definitely with issues related to gender identity and transgender uh, individuals, and lots of conversations surrounding that, but also even when it comes to issues of feminism and women's rights, where oftentimes the word he was used as a default and especially he at times, uh, might've been used for certain characteristics and she, for others, for example, um, for he would be, if you're saying a doctor, you might say he just assuming the doctor was a male, whereas other occupations might've been assumed to be female. So you might say she, um, but I wanted to, the book. Caught my attention because so much is brought up about that, but it looks like it goes a little bit deeper into that, which the subtitle, Beyond He and She, sounded interesting to me. Looking forward to reading that and sharing it with you on next week's show, Monday. Uh, The book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight is The Mamba Mentality by Kobe Bryant. The Mamba Mentality How I Play. And so I wanted to read this book of course because of the tragic and untimely death of Kobe Bryant January 26th of this year Um, and was given this book recently by a good friend Vahid which was very sweet because he knew I wanted to read the book and was on back order but then he was able to get it for me so thank you again to him and of course I enjoyed reading the book although I wonder how different it would have felt reading it just a few months ago because everything was read with of course the knowledge and that heaviness in my heart when it comes to thinking about uh, Kobe and his tragic passing so that affected um, how I felt throughout the whole process but um, it was still very enjoyable and interesting and the book is uh, every page has photographs by Andrew Bernstein who is a Hall of Fame photographer who was a Lakers photographer all of Kobe's career so over 20 years and he took the first A headshot Kobe took with the Lakers when he was just a teenager all the way to photographs of him at his final game against the Utah Jazz a few years ago so that's also a very interesting aspect of the book getting to see the pictures both during the games but also behind the scenes that was very cool Uh, so I, I definitely enjoyed the process of reading the book and going through all the pages but again it was with a heavy heart that I was reading about him and hearing things in his own words about how he played, how he approached the game, how he approached individual opponents. There was lots of um, individual opponents that he got into details about how he would play them or how he learned to better play them and study them, which is also very interesting. Uh, And also about the preparation. That was also uh, really uh, enjoyable for me to see that and hear how he would train and Prepare his body and take care of his body, and how he recognized that that was a very important part of keeping himself at an elite level. Uh, Even I wanted to share the Mamba mentality. Maybe you've heard that if you're a basketball fan, that he acquired this nickname, kind of gave it to himself of the Black Mamba. At least that's how I remember it kind of midway in his career. I don't remember exactly when it was, but um, it comes from, well, there's a Black Mamba snake, which is a very venomous snake, but there was a, uh, assassin in Quentin Tarantino's movie, Kill Bill, that was called the Black Mamba. And so he kind of took on this persona and this nickname of this assassin, this killer. And he tried to have that type of killer mentality on the court and that type of intensity. So slowly over time, it became this, this phrase, Black Mamba was his nickname, but then the Mamba mentality. Uh, he himself talks about it in the book and I'll read this from the book, um, It says, Initially, I thought the phrase Mamba Mentality was just a catchy hashtag that I'd start on Twitter, something witty and memorable. But it took off from there and came to symbolize much more. The mindset isn't about seeking a result, it's more about the process of getting to that result. It's about the journey and the approach, it's a way of life. I do think that it's important in all endeavors to have that mentality. Whether I hear an elite college or NBA player or a Fortune 500 CEO reference the hashtag Mamba Mentality, I find it very meaningful. When I see people talk about finding inspiration in it, it makes all of my hard work, all of the sweat, all of the 3 a.m. wake-ups feel worth it. That's why I put together this book. All these pages incorporate lessons, not just lessons on basketball, but also on the Mamba Mentality. And so um, that's in his own words describing a bit about the Mamba mentality. And in the book, even early on in the book, he talks about how this can help athletes a lot. But as he mentions there, it's not just about becoming an athlete or if that's your profession or main focus in life. Having that Mamba mentality is something that we can have in whatever we do. And uh, on the days following his death, when I talked about Kobe, that was one of the things I mentioned that. Um, Of course, we enjoyed watching him play. He was fun to watch. It was exciting. But one of the things that many people, players and athletes, but just fans and everyone around the world admired about him was his dedication and hard work and that he was known for that, that he wasn't going to let you outwork him and that he was always going to study as much as he could so he would learn and the knowledge would be there, but also physically do everything he could and keep working on his game. He talks about how he wanted to have no holes or weaknesses in his game. If he found one, he would try to work on that uh, on the off season to come back stronger. And that was also something he was known for, was coming back every year, more skilled, more talented, um, and he, having his game evolve so he wouldn't just uh, stay in the same place or be satisfied with where he was at. And that was something I really uh, admired of about him as a fan, but just as how he was, um, and so I think that's important for all of us to think of having that mentality. How can I make sure I become the best I can be at whatever it is that you do? How can I put in that work? Uh, And that's something I also liked about the pictures and the the things he shared was that hard work behind the scenes. Because especially with athletes, I think this is true. We see them uh, shining on the big stage and it looks so cool and it looks so fun. And so many kids just wish they were... You know, Kobe before or LeBron or Zion or whoever it is that they admire in the athletic world because it looks so fun and it is. And I'm sure it must be amazing to do what they do. But what we don't see is the hard work that goes into developing, creating, and maintaining that level of excellence, of that athleticism, and the mental preparation and everything that goes into that. People love to imagine being on the, the center stage and everyone calling their name and getting all that attention, but people often are not so excited to do the hard work, to watch vid- videos, let's say, of, of games and go over the same things over and over again, of doing drills, um, of waking up at three, four, five in the morning to do workouts. Kobe was known for that and he talks about that in the book, doing workouts very early in the morning. Um, and his routine to make sure he can get a few workouts in. And if he started earlier, he was able to do that as many people like the glory, but they don't want to do the grind. They don't want to do the hard part and everyone talks about doing it. No one will tell you, I don't want to work hard or I don't think I should work hard, but doing it is very different from just saying, it. so we all say I'm working hard. I'm doing everything I can, but really are we doing that? Are we going forward and doing everything we can to make sure we are getting to our best and so I actually like that in this book and it's something I've talked about with friends before about how there are some shows but I wish there was even more where it would show the hard work that goes behind the scenes uh, of the athletes because people just see them shining and being uh, you know enjoying the limelight but what goes into the becoming that champion is important I think Muhammad Ali has a quote something like that the champions aren't made in the ring they're made in the gym, but, or something along those lines that really what makes someone a champion is not that moment where they get crowned as a champion. It's all the work they do to get there. So that to me was also, uh, very motivating in this book getting to see that bes- behind the scenes of how hard he worked and how dedicated he was. Um, also it was interesting how he talked about pain. Uh, now if you listen to me on this show, you know how I'm very big on people acknowledging and being in touch with their Feelings, but also I make sure to add that it doesn't mean we let our feelings just dictate our life. So if something's uncomfortable, which tends to mean it'll push us away from that thing, if we just listen to the feelings, we have to see what is that feeling, what is that pain? Is our pain um, something that's telling us there's damage, something bad happening, or is that pain that's discomfort that can lead to growth? And in another way, he talked about how he had pain and he broke a finger, he fractured a finger. Um, and even he shares how he went in the middle of the game to the back, uh, you know, into the locker room to get an x-rayed and Gary Vitti, longtime Lakers trainer said that it was fractured and Kobe said, okay, let me get me back out there. He wanted to go play. And Gary Vitti was a little bit shocked, but he told him, well, it hurts, but if it can't get worse, um, then why wouldn't I just play with it? And so he played for, you know, I think almost the remainder of his career, he had that pain in that finger on his shooting hand, um. And he said it hurt every time he touched the ball. But because he knew that that pain was just the pain that was there, but it didn't mean it was something that was going to get worse. It didn't mean he had to avoid it. He just almost was able to uh, zone it out or forget about it and just go forward. And sometimes we have to do that. You might recognize a feeling or recognize a physical feeling, just like he was recognizing that, uh, an emotional feeling, just like he was recognizing that physical feeling and realize it's there, but I might have to go forward anyway. It doesn't mean something bad is happening. Yes, I'm feeling uncomfortable, but that discomfort is something okay. Uh, but I thought that was pretty awesome to see that, that he would see the pain, feel the pain, try to understand it. So he wouldn't just say "Doesn't all pain is okay because um, if it was going to make him worse, if he could, let's say, damage his body even more, he wouldn't just go forward. But if he learned it wouldn't damage him anymore, he would go ahead and, and make sure he kept playing. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Also shows his focus and determination. And that's another thing that I think is part of the Mamba mentality. And when we think about working hard, uh, before you can work hard, you have to know why you want to work hard. You have to have that why. And uh, I think it's Friedrich Nietzsche's quote that is also in Viktor Frankl's book, The Man's, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, about if you have a why, you can overcome any how. So if you know what you want and it's big enough for you and important enough, you'll be able to put yourself through whatever it takes to get there. And so first you have to get a hold of that why for yourself. What do you want to do? And I think for Kobe Bryant, that was to win championships and also to be one of, if not the greatest player of all time. He was motivated by that desire to become that. That was his why, which is why he could overcome all those hows, all those difficult uh, challenges, waking up and dealing with pain and working out and pushing himself harder and harder and harder so we have to think about that what is it that we want what is it that we're trying to create what goal do we have what purpose do we have what's that meaning in our life and then we can start to create that fire within ourselves to go towards that goal but before you have that why and before that why is important enough for you well then why would you put yourself through all this discomfort and pain and Not so good feelings. We'll just take it easy. Um, So, first we have to get a hold of that. And for Kobe, I think that was very clear and was always there. And that's why he wouldn't take it easy or um, just relax. He didn't want to just be good. He wanted to be great and the greatest. And he didn't want to just settle with doing some, uh, having some accomplishments. He wanted to continue accomplishing. And that was another thing you, you get the sense of in the book is that unending drive. You know, he won three championships very early in his career, but that wasn't enough for him. He wanted to keep going. Um, and so of course as a Lakers fan, I was very grateful to watch him for 20 years. And he brought a lot of joy into my life and a lot of people's lives who would follow him. Uh, but it was really interesting to get to see this behind the scenes look, both the look, as far as the pictures that were throughout the book, um, but also hearing in his own words the types of things he would think about it, even just the ways he would think about things. And as he gets into details of how he would play different players, I thought that was really fascinating how much attention to detail he had and how he, uh, it was a mind game, also a physical game. He was approaching it from all angles to become the best that he can be. And so I'm forever grateful to him for um, the hard work he put in because we got to enjoy those rewards as, as much, of course, as he did, but we got to enjoy it too as fans and that's special, and so it's a reminder to me and everyone else also that we have to put everything we can into developing ourselves so that we can give the most of ourselves, and that was also something you felt, that it, of course, he wanted, I'm sure he enjoyed the the fame and the attention and the, all the um, awards and everything else that came with being uh, great and doing what he did, uh, but you also got the sense he was giving everything he had, he was leaving it all out there on the court, even playing with the pain. Uh, It's very admirable that he didn't just take it easy or just say, I'm hurting, so I don't want to go forward. He really gave his all. And so we all want to, um, have that mentality, build yourself up, become the strongest and best that you can be, and then give of yourself to the world in whatever way, those gifts and talents that you're developing are in the best way you can and leave it all out there on the floor so that, you know, you gave everything you can, uh, to whoever you could in the best way possible so i i try to take that mentality forward and i hope you will too and if you get a chance to check out the book especially if you're a basketball fan i think you'll really enjoy it that's kobe bryant the mamba mentality how i play all right let's go to our first commercial break we'll be right back Back, um, continuing on the theme, it kind of relates to sports. if I talked about the Kobe Bryant book, Kobe Bryant, the Mamba mentality. I wanted to talk in this uh, segment about cheering people on, and of course, uh, cheering happens in sports. Um, something I do a lot of. Even this weekend, I did a few times. Uh, but just in life in general, we can cheer people on. We can also wish bad upon them, or not wish good. We can hate on them, do a bunch of different things. But the reason why I thought about this was yesterday was the the Los Angeles Marathon here in the LA area. And it goes by my apartment. It's around mile 16. So the marathon is 26.2 miles from more than halfway there. It passes by my apartment and it's kind of nice. People will line up and cheer for the people that are competing or participating in the marathon and it's really nice and I remember the first time I heard it years ago I woke up to the sound of people cheering for people running and it made me cry Um, I just felt so moved by it that strangers were cheering on people they didn't know who also were doing something really pushing themselves uh, to a limit a lot of times pushing themselves hard also related to that mamba mentality going as hard as you can trying as hard as you can um, not giving up because there's pain and then having you know these random people cheer them on something about that just felt very nice and I remember crying actually no surprise that I was crying and still sometimes it makes me feel that way each year when I hear it so yesterday Uh, I heard it happening again and people were going by and then I was cheering for people first from my uh, window. I was a little bit of a lazy cheerer, um, but I was yelling out the window and clapping and screaming, saying good job, keep going. But then later on I was able to go downstairs um, and and be a little bit closer to the people that I was cheering for and it felt really nice. Um, But like I said, it does make me a little bit uh, emotional thinking about that, a little teary-eyed of people supporting one another, even when they don't know each other, which I think is part of who who we strive to be or who we should want to be. But also in this theme of cheering was interesting because later in the day, uh, I was watching a soccer game and because of what's been going on with the coronavirus, it's affected all aspects of life, including the world of sports. And so um, Italy now today has announced that they won't be playing any more of their competitive games, including soccer games at the highest level. But what they had done uh, the last week or so was play games in the stadium, but with zero fans. And so I watched the game yesterday, which was between Inter Milan uh, and Juventus, two of the best teams in Italy and historically two of the strongest teams in Italy. And so it was a very big game, um, but it was surreal to see the game with zero fans in, in the stadium. So they're playing this game where usually there's so many people cheering and so much energy In the arena, but it was quiet and you can actually hear the players talking to each other, yelling at each other. You can hear coaches, of course, mostly it was in Italian, so I couldn't understand. um, But just that it was very weird and surreal. And I actually wanted to see what it would be like. And it was interesting. It was also funny when uh, the team scored Juventus, the home team scored two times. They Still played music, they played this song. Um, it's called Song Number Two by Blur. You maybe, if you maybe have heard it before, it goes woohoo and it keeps going like that. And it's like to pump up the crowd, but there's no one there. So I just think it's funny whoever was there who still had to play or decided to play the music um, when there was no one in the stadium. But it just was an interesting thing to see that they're playing soccer, which is the game is still the same, but without the fans there, the energy was different. There was a different feel. And even actually one of the announcers made this comment about how um, they've done some research, I guess he shared something about a study where they had officials watch a game where there was crowd noise and one without crowd noise. So essentially a typical game and also one like yesterday. Um, and they found that they, the referees were less likely to call or to be as strict with the players as far as giving fouls and yellow cards and red cards, um, which could be that they're affected by the fans and that energy, that when, let's say, a player slides and tackles another player and there's a huge reaction in the crowd to that, it it could affect the officials, which I think is interesting. And uh, I don't know the details of the study. I just heard this announcer the commentator talking about it, but it makes sense to me um, because... The fans don't just affect the players, but they affect the referees and officials as well, and we are all human. And so even though the referees are supposed to be as unbiased as possible and objective to make sure they're just getting the calls right, we know that they're going to be affected by other people. And it reminds you of the study of the judges who were found to be more strict when it came to parole hearings, if they were hungrier, when it was closer to lunch, than after lunch or earlier in the day when they were not hungry. So the judges, even though we'd want them to be objective and unbiased, were affected by how they were feeling internally or physically in their determinations. Their gut feeling, we could say, quote unquote, was affected by how hungry they were. So all this got me thinking about um, the effects we have on one another the marathon runners and people cheering them on. Um, I remember actually running, uh, cross country. This now so long ago, long distance running in high school one year. And I remember hearing people cheering and actually would have an effect. It'd give you some energy, uh, help you keep going when you're pushing yourself. And so, um, I remember that feeling, uh, but also we see that now with the marathon runners or when you watch sports, we know that there's home court or home field advantage, a team that's home. When they have that support, now you can also say they're more comfortable in their home environment, both being home, but also being at that stadium that they're used to. But it does seem that the fans have a big effect, a big impact. And even people will say stadiums where the fans are known to be louder tend to support the team or boost the team up more. So we get affected by one another, which... Is just part of being human. We could try not to be or try to think we, we won't be affected by what people think or what they say, but we all are. Even elite athletes are going to be affected. Even referees and officials are going to get affected and judges will get affected by how they feel in different ways. But we get affected by things that are different than what we just think are the most important things in those moments. And so we can be a overall force for good in how we share that impact we can have on others or we can be negative and so um, of course it's very kumbaya and easy to say we should all always be cheering for each other and always want good for each other whether it's in professional life personal life on social media celebrities whatever it is but we know that's not true that we don't always wish for good for others if we're just being real with one another and it can be important to look at the why because it might be easy for you to be very supportive of a lot of people, but you might find that there's certain people or certain types of successes that you have a hard time feeling happy about and where that envy lies, where you're finding that um, you're having a hard time cheering for others, which tends to be related to having an envious feeling you don't want good for that person. Your insecurities or your own issues in your life are very close behind or, or in that area. So whatever you see, for example, if you see someone make a lot of money and you feel a little like this bad feeling inside of yourself and you might think, oh no, I should be happy for them. But you realize you don't feel that way. There's a good chance you have your own issue related to the, how much money you make or have, or where, how you are in your life. Or a very common one you might see is people get engaged or get married or have kids. And of course, um, when you think about it, you think, well, I should be happy for people when good things happen. Um, But you might recognize you don't feel good. And maybe it's because you're wanting to be married or don't feel good about where you are at in your relationship life, romantic life, or being a parent or whatever it might be. So when you see that news on social media or hear about it, you don't have a pleasant reaction. Uh, Or there could be someone in particular who you don't want good things to happen to and there could be lots of reasons now maybe they actually have hurt you in some way physically emotionally or whatever it may be or maybe that you compare yourself to that person and maybe feel less than or feel like they get more attention or feel like they uh, are doing better than you in some way and it brings up some insecurity for you so it's important to pay attention to that of course um, we would want to always be happy for everyone always And that makes sense. And I think we should strive towards having that mindset and mentality, but we know it's not always true. If we really are going to be real with ourselves, we'll see that there are times when we're going to feel envy. And so this is one of those times where I know people might say, oh, well, envy is such a useless emotion, or why should I feel envy? Well, I mean, whether you should have it or not, first of all, I think it could be actually good. When it's not like a malicious envy that you're hoping bad and want to actually do bad to others. But at times it can make you aware of things you want when you recognize, oh, I'm envious of this person who just got a promotion. Uh, That probably means I'm not so happy with my job. And maybe it even means I haven't asked for a promotion, even though I think I deserve one, but it's because I'm afraid or I'm. Uh, embarrassed or I'm not sure I'll deserve it. I'm afraid to get rejected. I'm afraid to have that uncomfortable conversation with my boss. And so part of what you might be feeling that envy is that you're envious of that person for asking for what they wanted, but you didn't ask. So as always, we can look to our emotions as information, not just as, oh, I should feel it. I shouldn't feel that it's good or it's bad. But first start with the let's understand this as information. Take that in to make a better understanding first to ourselves. And then we can make decisions based on that information. We can help um, uh, use that to help make our next choices. And again, as I mentioned in the last segment, talking about things like pain, we don't just look at the feeling and judge uh, make an action based on that. Oh, I'm envious, so I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. But we take it in and we incorporate it with our rational thinking and, and other aspects of how we can approach making a decision. And then we decide how to go forward. So it can be important to pay attention to who you might feel envious of or who you find yourself not cheering for not rooting for and we can be very good at coming up with reasons oh i I didn't no no it's not that i'm envious it's i don't like her there's something about how she is and i think she's just not a very kind person oh no it's not about him and money no i don't care about money it's about this this and the other we can find ways to try to justify it but if we get in touch with ourselves and if you find yourself for example um hating on or being envious of or saying negative things about certain people when they're successful, you might find uh, something there about yourself if you are willing to be open and look a little bit more closely. And we know that whenever someone becomes successful, the haters are going to be there. That's always going to happen in whatever realm of life. Even I've been talking a lot about sports and sports, it happens when a team starts doing really well, of course. There are a lot of the bandwagon fans that jump on and start cheering for them and like to feel good cheering for the team that's winning because when we cheer for a team, as much as it's about them, it's really a lot about us and we feel connected to them. And it's like we are winning when they win. Um, But also the teams that are successful always have a lot of haters too and fans that don't like them that just all of a sudden become against them. So we know this always happens when you are successful. There's going to be the adulation, attention, and the good side, but also uh, the negative, the hate will come with it too. And something you should also be ready for if you want to do well in any aspect of life, it's very likely there will be some haters along the way, especially if you want to make any type of change in the world, because anytime you're going to make a change, even if to you, it's a very positive change, uh, there's always going to be people that resist change. That's just the part of human nature is to resist change. So you might try to bring about more progress or justice, Um, But if you do it forcefully, even in the right ways, you have to be ready that some people are not going to like it. And that doesn't mean you're doing necessarily the wrong thing, but that it's part of the territory. But coming back to cheering for one another, um, seeing the effect that it has, you can get that feeling. It feels good also to be the one cheering, but it's a reminder of how much we can benefit from that from each other. So um, one, to give it, genuinely, but generously to people in your life, to make them feel good, to support them, to show them you care, you're rooting for them, you want them to do well. Um, And also to ask for it at times too, to see how you can seek it out from people who do want best for you or will cheer for you. Let them know what you're doing, what you're going through. It can really help us. We are social beings. At the end of the day, we get affected by one another for good and for bad. But we can try to amplify that good, both in what we give out and also what we receive uh, and realize that we can have that positive impact on one another. So it was interesting how this, um, cheering, uh, both for the marathon runners and seeing that game made me think about that. And also lastly, uh, not to take a very somber turn was talking to a friend, um, who had her friend had committed suicide and had died recently and we were talking about how she was telling me how many people loved that person. And that was obvious at the the memorial service that she was describing that so many people loved um, her and, but maybe she didn't know it. And so in this kind of same realm or way of talking, she had a lot more fans than she realized. A lot more people cared about her, were proud of her, loved her than she realized they did. And you never know, but um, my friend wondered if she knew that, would that have affected her making that decision? And we won't know, of course, in that specific instance, but it is a reminder that we want to give that love, support, um, attention in a positive way to those around us. We might think, oh, they know I love them. They know I'm rooting for them. I want what's best for them. I care about them. They're special to me. Uh, but until we show it both verbally and also in our actions they might not know or they might doubt it or in a moment of feeling really low they might really benefit from that so let's cheer each other on and let's show each other that love and appreciation and for, not forget to take it for granted that they already know uh, how we feel let's make sure they were convinced that they know that we remind them all right let's go to our last commercial break we'll be right back Welcome back. In the last segment, I was talking about cheering for others, cheering people on and how important that can be. Um, And I did talk about one of the reasons why we might not cheer for someone and how that envious feeling might be underneath, which could be related to our own insecurities or areas of our life where we're not feeling very good or happy. Um, And another area or reason why we might not cheer for others can be related to how we view the world and how... Um, we see the world is either a space or a place of abundance or a place of scarcity. Maybe you've heard this distinction before, but if not, I'll briefly elaborate on that. So when you think that the world is an abundant place, it means you feel that there is a enough and a lot of everything for everyone. Meaning that if I am successful, doesn't mean other people have to be unsuccessful. Um, or if, if there's enough everything resources food love happiness good people partners to get married to uh, in every aspect of life there's going to be enough it's abundant whereas the opposite is scarcity where you feel that there isn't enough of things and so when someone else wins you lose when someone else gets married it's just oh one less person for me to marry someone makes money there's less money for me to make and so when we have that scarcity mindset The world becomes very much a zero-sum game where some people, if someone else wins, you have to be losing because of that. And so it's hard to feel good about others doing well um, because that means you are doing, you're somehow worse off. Either you're worse off or your opportunities are worse Or you have to uh now somehow get second best or or not get what you need so this distinction can be very important and it's not something we can just turn on like a light switch it can be affected by a lot of things of course as always genetics will play a part but also how we the kind of family we grew up in the world that we grew up in as far as the society and things that were around us if you lived through a war uh, when you were a kid it's very likely this will affect how safe you feel in the world and so you might feel like there's not enough of everything there's not enough even safety uh, to to feel that you can be okay and so you're in a survival type of mode Um, or if your family always told you that uh, you know people are out to get you or there's not enough of this or we should be envious of other people or be uh, against other people you might feel like there isn't this abundance in the world And also how you were treated as far as did you get enough of things? Did you feel like you weren't going to get now? Some of it might be financially really was not possible, but also sometimes families can deal with their kids in different ways and not make them feel comfortable about having enough of the resources. And of course, alternatively, uh, you, you maybe were in a childhood and in a family in a home where you felt very comfortable and felt that things were okay. And so there was this abundant feeling that I don't have to feel like, um, I'm going to miss out if someone else does well. And so we can have a very different mentality. And because of that, of course, that's going to affect how we view other people's successes. If you can feel like there's enough in the world, then when they do well, okay, great. Good for them. I can do it too, or I can do what I want to do. But if you don't, then when they do well, it's a scary and bad feeling. And you could have more negativity and anger towards them and wish bad for them. Because as long as they're winning... That makes it more likely that you lose. And in most things in life, we know that um, there really is enough. And I'll get into some of that. But also I think I've heard my brother use this analogy that sometimes we think that there's a pie and we're all trying to get pieces of that pie. So if someone gets a big piece, there's less left for us. But sometimes we can have that mindset that we can actually expand the pie. We can make the pie bigger. So there's actually more for everyone. And there's things in life that that come out that way. Now, if we think about our psychology, it can make sense that we have some of this scarcity mindset in us. For most of human history, it wasn't so it wasn't such a given that we would survive. Of course, uh, unfortunately, we still live in a world where many people have to fight for survival or their survival as far as having the basic resources is not a guarantee. I live in Los Angeles. I'm broadcasting from you and live in Westwood, but maybe 10, 12 miles away, the Skid Row has thousands of homeless individuals there, and there's homeless individuals around even where we are here in Westwood. So um, it's not something that everyone can think of in our human history. They didn't have enough resources. People still deal with that. Uh, and even that partially is related to the fact that We live in a scarcity mindset or people still have that mindset where they don't think we can take care of everyone, even though we know we can, by no, I mean, in the logical sense, if we look at what resources are out there, there is enough to take care of everyone, but still we live in a world where many people don't have enough food, water, access to healthcare. Um, And I think that is really sad um, and something that future generations will really laugh at us i mean i think we already i think we can see it as laughable now but i think we always have to think about in this current day and age what is something that future generations even just a few generations or hundreds of years from now might look back and be in disbelief that there actually was this type of thing happening in the world just like we might look back a few hundred years ago or not that long ago, and be shocked that how could there be a world that this was happening in. I think people will look at us now and say, you're telling me there was enough food, water, health care for everyone, but people were dying unnecessarily from those things every every day, every year, um, and they'll be shocked. And I think we should be a bit embarrassed about that. Um, of course, I'm part of this world and I'm not doing enough to make it better, but I think we have to be aware of the things that are happening that we take as givens that don't need to be that way, that we actually can do something about it. Um, But so that was a little bit of a, a side on this scarcity mindset that unfortunately many people do live in a world where things are scarce They have that. Um, But going back to our human history, we probably had that mindset that we had to be aware of survival as something that wasn't a given. We had to make sure we had enough food or where our next meals were coming from to make sure we would survive. And so we still hold on to that. And unfortunately, I think, as I was saying, that's why people at times are afraid to give and take care of others. There is this fear that if we give, we're going to give too much and there won't be enough left for us. So when it comes to taking care of the poor, there are people that will resist that because it makes them think that, well, no, we can't just take care of everyone. There won't be enough left, but we have enough things to take care of everyone. It's just a matter of making sure everyone gets them. So we have some of that still scarcity mindset that affects the ways that we help others. And so I wanted to tie this in to something that was celebrated yesterday, which was International Women's Day. Um which is celebrated every year, and the aim and the hope is to bring attention to, of course, the contribution of women throughout history and today, but also to the discrimination and different uh, prejudices that still exist in the world. And so um, people might hear about these days, like International Women's Day, and think, okay, well, everything is equal now, especially here in the United States. All the laws are equal, so why do we still need these things? Um, first of all, around the world. We know that things are far from equal for many people. There's still lots of laws that make it very unfair. Um, but we know that sexism is still alive and well in the United States. It's not something that we should think of. Well, because the laws don't have any um, input or any way of being unfair, although there's still a sum, that we don't have to, to worry about it anymore. Why are we still talking about this? And it reminds me of, uh, how we talk about racism and people think, well, there's all the laws make it so that everything is fair. So why are we still talking about racism and racism too, is very alive and well here in the United States and around the world. We can want it not to exist, but it is still there. People have different experiences, um, based on the color of their skin or their race or ethnicity, and also being male or female. And, we always want, and I know I'm a man here talking about this. So I don't really know what it's like to be a woman in the world. Um, but we always want to remember that we don't know what it's like for someone else, and we don't know what it's like to be in someone's shoes if we've never been in them and have some of that humility that if someone tells us their experience is different from ours or is unfair, to at least listen to them first. And of course, I've mentioned this in recent shows about race and how um, someone could think, oh, it's not different to be black or white in America anymore, when it definitely still is very different and the experiences are different in so many areas of life. Uh, The same is true. Of course, I don't want to say same as in they are the same when it comes to sex, being male or female is not the same. And so if we hear that people are going through something, we want to try to understand it and Women do experience different types of um, discrimination when it comes into the workplace, even getting jobs. Uh, Research shows that when it comes to getting even promotions, things like that, they have far worse experiences than men. Um, And so we can say it's just because the men are more qualified, but when they do research, they see that it's not about that. They can just change the name on the application and there's a different response. So that's telling us it's not just about qualifications and about merit. It's about something more than that. So uh, International Women's Day, it it might seem just like a thing that's a formality or we just celebrated. And I know so many people posted things. Actually, I didn't. I don't always post on a lot of these different days and things and maybe Maybe I should, but I didn't post something specifically for International Women's Day. I didn't want to talk. I wanted to talk about it on my show. Um, but a lot of people post things and that's nice and it's something to talk about in that way. But it requires more than just us posting things. It's about looking at what's happening in this world. And so if people are telling you and sharing their stories about what they suffer and how they suffer, we want to hear them and women will tell you about their experiences in different areas of life and how it still is affected by sexism and we have to be willing to listen to them now we sometimes would rather have everything be fair there is a tendency for humans for us to want to live in a just world so if something bad happened to someone well they must have done something and if women are saying they are suffering more than men or face discrimination oh no the world is fair that's just in their head or they're trying to get attention or they're trying to play the victim or whatever else you might say to just take away that and same with racism oh there's no more racism if someone is using race uh talks about race they're using it as an excuse or they're just trying to again victimize themselves to get attention or get some kind of resources or whatever it might be but let's take a, a step back and try to actually listen to people as they share their pain and their experiences and really try to understand what they're going through now if you're a male You do have certain privilege by being a male that makes some things easier for you. That in and of itself doesn't make you bad or make you a bad person, but not acknowledging it or denying it could make what you're doing bad because you're not being aware of what's actually happening in the world. You're not taking a real look at what you have been given as far as an advantage or the disadvantages you have not been given and how someone else might have a different experience. So I know that word privilege comes up a lot, and I talked about it recently in a few of the books um, that I discussed. Uh, And people can be very triggered by that word from both sides of the aisle and both types of political leanings. But privilege just means that some people do have it easier in the world than others. And again, that doesn't mean you have to be sorry for it, because I think sometimes people think, well, you should apologize for your privilege or acknowledging your privilege and just saying it as, words but being aware that there are some ways that you might have it easier than someone else doesn't mean you are bad or doesn't mean you've never worked for anything but it just means that people can have different experiences and to deny them does not make it less real it just makes you someone who's denying someone else's pain or someone else's experience so um, of course happy international women's day in march is um, women's month Um, but let's not just stop at the formalities and think about how we can change things, but also before that, really try to put ourselves in each other's shoes and try to understand what someone is going through. We never really will know, and we can never say, I fully understand what it's like to be someone different from ourselves, but we can try to understand it better. And in having that empathy and that care, we might actually try to make things better as well because we don't want to just stop with the words and just the feelings. We want to do something about it. All right, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thank you to Amir here in the studio. Again, the book of the week is What's Your Pronoun Beyond He and She by Dennis Barron, relating to what I was just talking about in some ways. Look forward to reading that and sharing it with you on next Monday's show. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulaqui. Have a wonderful night.